Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Why don't you lean over to somebody around you and say Merry Christmas? Tell somebody it's great to be around you this morning. Fantastic. Can we thank the creative choir, the creative team, everybody who served to make creative show happen. Let's thank every volunteer in Sycamore Church. Thank you um, for all that you do, all that you have done through the year, right? We're going to be in God's Word this morning. We are on week two of Christmas at Sycamore, and um, I'm excited about this. Um, last week, I shared with you a message about when God's, God, man's God became um, God's man. Good. And um, two major things we try to say, we said that a God story many times, this Christmas God story might be really intense, but that it is intentional. Uh, Great. You guys remember, that's good. And we said that a God story is all-inclusive, but it is exclusive. Fantastic. All right. I always knew the second service people are the real Christians in Sycamore Church. They love God's word. I mean, they're my people. Yeah. Now, you guys are sounding sarcastic, but... All right, let's pray for God to speak to us this morning, and then we would sit. As an act of faith, would you hold out your hands? God, we come this morning needing you. We need a word from you, Lord, not a word from man, not not just something to entertain us, but we need a word. We need your word in its full power, God. Lord, I pray this morning that your word will be so simple that we would understand, but let it be so profound that it will make a mark in our lives forever. And um, we give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you so much. What you're doing in our church, in our lives, and just the beautiful things we gather together at this time to celebrate. We are so grateful and we honor you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And God, we thank you as a church that postponed or whatever, Liverpool would win the league. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, 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 amen. amen. Look at somebody around you. Say you're looking good. Your weight loss is working. Just say something nicer then. And then you can, you can be seated. This morning. Okay. Right. Um, let's just get up into this. I want to speak to you this morning. I don't know how your weekend has been, but guess what? It's going to get even better, okay? Right now. Um, if you don't know anybody that got married yesterday, you're one of three people. Only, only three people no go wedding yesterday. Only we, we will no go wedding. We know reach three, maybe five. Something like that, right? But whatever your, your weekend has been like, it's going to get better with a word from God. I want to speak to you this morning on what I'm going to call the gloom and the doom of no room. The gloom and the doom of no room. The gloom and the doom of no room. Have you, have you ever been like totally unprepared for what you actually thought you were prepared for? Like you thought you were prepared, but when it happened, you just realized you were actually totally um, unprepared, unprepared for it. It's like maybe you're on campus and you are going to defend your project. You wrote the project yourself. It was time to defend your project. And that's the one time in your life you are ever going to put on a suit. So you had it all prepared. You had, you know, dry cleaned the suit or borrowed it actually. And then um, ironed your shirt, your tie. You had arranged it to match your underwear. You like arranged everything. And then the day of the defense, you got up, you know, you were ready and you got there and all of that, ready um, to present and all of that. But in the real, looking real fly and all of that until you just realized as they called you in and they said, show your ID card as you're coming in. You didn't even have your ID card. Like here you are, the big moment. You thought you were ready. You just weren't ready for it. I remember when my wife and I um, were pregnant with our first child and um, like I was insist collectively pregnant. And um, um, I remember when we were going to have our baby. And, you know, it had been nine months of looking forward to this. We had, you know, we were, I, I believed we were ready, you know. I was prepared to be a father, to be the most amazing father ever. You know, I had all my dreams and my plans and all of that. And so now, nine months, I mean, my daughter waited a couple of extra weeks before even coming. So, like, we were over ready. My wife had packed the hospital bag for weeks. It had been there, maybe even months. Like, it had been there. You know, you have looked forward to this. Here is the moment you're going to have your child. And I remember getting to the hospital that night when our child was coming. And, um, you know, my wife had given me the instructions. Um, this is the dress she's going to put on when she comes and blah 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 give them this these are the diapers this is what they need like all instructions taken good we're good i mean this is i'm the one that impregnated i know what's up like everything i i believe you know so um 
It's the moment. And I remember when they were monitoring her labor and all of that. And I remember the matron of the hospital just coming and saying, oh, she's ready to give birth. Let's push her in. And then she just faces me and says, yeah, the father, where are the baby things? Which baby? Like, like suddenly, who is having a baby? Like, I, I, I just didn't get. Like, I just froze. Me, father, how? You know, and all of that. And then she's like, bring her. So I just gave her the bag. And she's like, open, bring her. Don't you know? I'm like, I just poured everything. I was shaking. Like, I thought I was prepared, but it happened. And I just realized I actually wasn't prepared. And, and I'm thinking about this morning as we celebrate the Christmas story that the whole world has honestly been looking forward to a savior coming. Like we've been, the world has been in anticipation, prophecies, and right from the Garden of Eden, humanity had fallen, and we need a Savior. That had been the cry. We had gone through all these years of sin and the law and all of that. We were longing for a Savior. We were longing for a Savior. Humanity was desperately longing, just expecting God to fulfill His promise of sending a Savior to deliver us. We need a Savior. That was the world's cry. The world was so desperately looking for a Savior. Prophecies had laid layers and layers and layers of prophecy had gone ahead we thought we were prepared for a savior we were longing for a savior but i'm shocked to my teeth when i read in luke 2 and verse 7 these words that she brought forth her firstborn son talking about mary giving birth to jesus and she wrapped him in a in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn i'm shocked to my teeth to read those words no room no room no room how can there be no room for something we have longed for and prepared for all our lives. How can there be no room? How can there be no room? This is what the world was needing of. How can we see those words? No room. I would expect that if Jesus is to be born, I should see words like Psalm 24 verse 7. Lift up your heads, all ye gates, and be lifted out, you everlasting doors. Let the King of glory. That's what I expect to see in a moment of Christ being born. But how is Christ born? And we read the words, no room. No room. This is like a house burning and we need help. The house is burning. We belong in. You're calling fast. Everybody has been calling like fast. Be fast. Can you come? Can you come quick? And, 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 and they arrive and they're speeding down and we can hear the sirens and they're trying to get to the house that is burning and there is no way for them to pass. That's what it sounds like. Like what we need, what we're longing for, we can't take it. My question this morning is can you take what you actually need? You know, and, and, and as I think about even our country, this has been the story. Many times you read stories of emergencies and all of that. In 2012, there was a plane crash, a Dana airline plane crash. In 2012, it crashed somewhere just in Lagos. In, um, um, I think it was in the Iju area or somewhere of Lagos. And it crashed. And, and people, eyewitnesses actually tell that as the plane landed, they actually saw passengers in the plane hitting on the, on the windows and crying for help and shouting and all of that. Like, they just needed emergency rescue and all of that. And, you know, so there were all the emergency calls and people trying to rush and help and you know state emergency guys and all of that but do you know what was most disheartening of course eventually there was an explosion and everybody died and all but what was most disheartening was that emergency rescue was actually trying to come but the area was so crowded by a barricade of people that were watching that emergency rescue could not get there like what we need the most we just can't take it in and could that be the story for us today as we see these words we, say, we, we cry now, we need help. I need help from God. What has your year been like? I'm, maybe you're here today just talking about, I need help from God. I'm in situations, I need help from God. But how about if God is trying to actually, this is a savior that we need that is born, but he's hearing the words, no room. Let me ask somebody this morning, can you take what you need? And I think in all the joys that Christmas offers us, it is a sobering reminder of how we can have no room for what we actually need. And Christmas is such a joyful season and all, but there's a sobering reminder that I want to point out this morning about how we can actually have no room for what we really need and what we really want. What do I mean when I say no room? Let me tell you two, two ways that no room can happen. No room can be that we just don't have space. No room can be that we don't have space. In other words, our space is differently occupied. No room can literally be that we don't have space, okay? That you come around and there is no space. Our space is occupied. So literally, Jesus couldn't get into the inn because in the inn, there was no space. It was taken by other people, right? So there is no room in the inn because it is differently 
occupied. No room for Jesus can be that we are so occupied with everything else about life and our worries and our fears and our anxieties and our plans and our ambitions that we just don't have room for Jesus in our lives. That can be the story of no room that we are occupied differently. We are occupied differently and so we don't have room. But let me tell you what today, friends. Honestly, in the day and age in which we live, you think about differently occupied as Ephesians 4 verse 27 and, and the Bible is saying, hey guys, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he said, do not give room to the devil. Give no room for the devil because you feel like, yes, if the devil occupies my room, then God can't occupy him. So I don't want to give room to the devil. But let me tell you what is most sobering to me as I think about that. And in the day and which age in which we live, I don't think the devil necessarily comes through evil as much as he comes through distractions, good distractions. And so we are occupied, but just not fruitful. We are busy. Like you go out in the morning, literally, it's even like a status thing that you get back like 10 p.m. Everybody say, where have you been, man? I just did walk, man, as in like since morning. It's like status. Like I'm tired, man, but just unfruitful with your life. And I think it's a sober reminder that we can be so occupied but not have room for the things that really matter. Like the savior of the world comes and he needs room in the inn and it's like there's no room because we have, or that they're not necessarily bad people but they're just different people. What I'm saying to you friends is that one of the things we'll deal with most in our day and age, I promise you in 2021, you will deal with more distractions I think. Distractions, distractions, distractions. You've been looking at your phone for the last six hours and laughing and happy. Nothing evil, alright? Just smiling and laughing. But six hours have just gone. Gone. Like gone. Do you get what I'm saying? Like how many of you know what I'm talking about? Am I just talking? Okay, good. At least a few honest people in church. So there's some other liars. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If your neighbor doesn't raise up, just look at with a judgmental look like seriously. Like, what do you mean? Liar. Liar. You shouldn't even be sitting on the chair. You should be lying on the floor. Liar. Liar. Distractions. We all deal with it. We've given our rooms to other guests. The Bible says, you know what? Do not be carnally minded. To be carnally minded is enmity with God. It talks about being spiritually minded. And the truth is, we live in that day and age where there's just so much to fill your mind. It can look like ordinary things. But what I'm warning today is we have to make sure we're not allowing these things to take room that belongs to God in our lives. And now you're so busy and so occupied and a savior comes. We really need a savior, but he's meeting the words, no room. Because we are differently occupied. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about a man whose enemy comes and he, he doesn't, the man planted wheat in his field. The enemy doesn't come and uproot it. The enemy basically comes and sows tears among the wheat. He sows tears among the wheat such that the nutrients that should go into growing the man's good seed is now being divided into so many things. Some of you would only understand what I'm talking about when you think about even precious relationships in your life that I should be committed to and loyal to. I, I, you know, you're like everybody's guy. Everybody's, everybody's guy. But you're lonely. Everybody in my party, but you are lonely. You get, you get what I'm saying? Like, there's wheat, there's testicles. So what should go to wheat is going to everything. It's differently occupied. Um, so, so no room can simply be that we are differently occupied. But the second way, that's, that's, that's one, that's obvious. The second way no room can happen. I think that no room is not necessarily that we are occupied. No room can be that we actually have space but a different type of space. And I'll tell you what I'm saying in a bit. No room can actually mean that you have space. There's no issue. You actually have space. There's space in the inn. But it's just a different type of space. There are two things that can make Jesus walk away and his parents walk away from the inn. Nothing of no room. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It happens to me. I go to hotels and you want to lodge and you kind of see like their room rates. You know, one day a friend of mine was lodging in a hotel somewhere. And then I remember arriving and they had said, once I get there, just introduce yourself. So I got there, introduced myself. As I was looking at the room rates, this is my house rent for a year. So I'm just like, eh, okay. And then, you know, so I introduced myself. The receptionist welcomed me and all that. Then apparently there was a breakdown in communication or a mix-up in communication. So the receptionist then says, oh, she puts in my details, photocopies my ID and all. And then she now says, sir, would we be paying by cash or by a card? <laughs> you know now, now what, what I'm saying is you, you go to a hotel you see, you see the room rates um, sometimes there's a room that you would take there 
So you now got there. You now got back outside. That room was not available. There were other rooms. But, you, know, you now got back outside and told your wife that there's no room. There is space. Eh? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Or sometimes you go to a shop and you, you get to the, to the stand where you buy stuff. And there is um, there's stuff on the shelf. But you know these shelves that will have the normal one? They will now say there's one that's American, imported, you know, something like that. Your own is not there. So there's no room. If you get what I'm trying to say. There's space. Geographical space. It's not necessarily equal to room. Okay, let me give you one last example. You walk into a conversation. Let's say you're in this big hall and there are only three people here. Eh? There's plenty of space. And the three people start talking. And they are some retired army generals. And they're now talking about the First World War and the army intervention in the First World War and, you know, just some of the army thoughts and techniques and all of that. And you are sitting down there. When they started, you are doing... <laughs> After like 15 minutes, you haven't still said anything. You are still there. <laughs> You know, you get to that point, hmm, you just, God will help us, and you just walk out. <laughs> you walk out, and you walk out, there was, there was space, but no room for you. Okay, good, now we get it. So what I'm trying to say is that on one hand, you can think about no room for Jesus as the place is differently occupied, but on another hand, you can think about it as there's space, but there's just no room. There's geographical space. When it comes to having room for God, I'll tell you the truth, friends. It's not just about geographical space. It's about an atmosphere of honor and of acceptance and of yes and of obedience that that becomes room for him. When he says, I don't find room, it is a place of rejection. Jesus came to his own. The Bible says he came to his own, but look at what happens. He comes to his own. He tries to, but he has to go away. Why? Because they didn't honor him. That it's not just about your, oh, wasn't there space in the land? There was space for him to stand, but he left because he was rejected. That dishonor and just that sense of disobedience and not saying yes. Yes opens room for God. When he says that I came to man and there's no room. When, when you read those words, no room in this Christmas season, I want to remind you, friend, that it's not just about geographical space. It's about a heart posture that creates a pool of honor. It's interesting to me that Jesus got room in the manger. Jesus didn't get room in the manger necessarily because it was the largest space in the world. I don't think so. It's not, it was the largest space in the world or it was the most convenient space. In actual fact, Jesus got room in a place that was not convenient. Uh, that would be very important. So hear that well. And you might need to write it down. Jesus got room in a place that was not convenient. Jesus got room in a place that was not convenient. Some of you are going to need to know that this year. You're going to need to know that in this season of your life. That Jesus is able to find room in a space that is not convenient. If the heart posture is right. If there's a heart posture of honor and of acceptance and of open doors and of welcoming. If there's a right heart posture, Jesus finds room. Even in an unlikely place. There were animals there. There was maybe animal shit and all of that stuff going on. But Jesus found room in an unlikely place. In an unlikely time. Because of the right heart posture. And this Christmas I want to challenge you. If you don't hear anything I'm saying. I want to challenge you this Christmas. About how you can be creating room. Even in unlikely times. How you can create room in unlikely spaces. How you can be living your life creating room. Like, I don't want the savior of the world coming. What I need the most. I don't want it coming to my life and hearing the words no room. I don't want what I'm longing for coming. The help that I need. The salvation that I need. The intervention. The help and the, 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 the help of God. I don't want it coming to me to meet the words no room. And today I want to challenge you about how in this Christmas time maybe we can be creating room. Even in the limitations of space, in the limitations of time, inconvenient times. So let me tell you four things that you should look out for in this Christmas season, every one of us. Number one, I want to say we must be creating room for vision and for hope. Can you be creating room for vision and for hope? You see... The Christmas story points to us some, some unlikely heroes. In Luke chapter 2 verse 15, you see the, 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 the shepherds. The Bible talking about the shepherds. And the shepherds are living a lowly life. They are just shepherds and just going about their business. But you see, in, in, in the conversation of Christmas, we see the shepherds responding to a sound of hope. Even more than just a sound of the times and all that's going on around them. And I just believe that response God calls us to is a response of vision and of hope. That if God 
God is coming to you today, can there be room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for hope? Is there room in your heart for vision? And I know they are lowly shepherds, but listen, when they hear the sound of Jesus and they accept it, there is something it does to them. There's a brightening up, there's a lighting up of our lives. And I don't believe that we are called to be people that just live in hopelessness of, of the times and of the day and age in which we live. I believe that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, invites us to a life of hope. I believe that God invites us to a life that is anchored in hope. A life that is fueled in vision, that is living more than what is all around us, that is living for more. And today I'm asking you, is there room in your heart for a sound of hope? Can you be the kind of person in this Christmas season that says, you know what, I'm giving myself to create room for hope. I don't want to be a hopeless person. I don't want to be somebody who is just all engrossed with the sound of the times. I want to be engrossed in the sound of the name of Jesus. It is a vibe of hope. It is an invitation to hope. The name of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are or the circumstances. Let me say this to you. Whatever your circumstance, Jesus is still a sound of hope. Whatever your circumstance, as believers, we are never invited to a life of regret and of hopelessness. There was a guy who got, who got to make it right in the last moment of his life. He was the guy by the, uh, on, the, on, on the side of Jesus when he was being crucified. And you know the story. This guy is being crucified. He has made mistakes all his life, all his life. He has made poor choices, made mistakes far away from God. Now he's being crucified as a robber. But do you realize that in that moment of a sound, of an encounter with Jesus... His response was not, the sound was not that, ah, if only 50 years ago, I would not be here. It was a forward looking, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. An encounter with Jesus is always a sound of hope. Never a sound of regret. And I believe this Christmas, God is inviting us. Can we be people in this day and age? And it might look like an unlikely space. That's what I'm telling you. It might be an unlikely space for all that's going on around. But God is able to create room in unlikely spaces. And there must be room in our hearts for a life of hope and of vision. Second thing I'm going to say this morning, is there room in your heart? Can you create room in your heart for contentment? Contentment. Godliness with contentment is still great gain. And I know we live in very desperate times. We live in a very, very desperate generation. Everybody trying to grab and grasp and get and ambitions and all of that, plans and, you know, forward thinking and all. But what I'm saying is that what it means to be a Christian, this is not about being a special Christian. This is about being a child of God. What it means to be a Christian is to live a life of contentment. I don't care whether it's 2021 or 205 BC. To be a Christian is to live a life of contentment and in this christmas season i want to remind you of two heroes in this story mary and joseph who honestly think about that they're starting out their marriage life and they really don't have too much going for them if you look at it in the natural mary and joseph basically look at themselves in those moments and i think maybe the best they can say to themselves is you know what mary joseph we have each other we don't have everything we want to have look at where we're giving birth to our first child look at the circumstances look at the rejection we're dealing with but we do not read a story of mary and joseph nagging on each other and you know, complaining on each other and, you know, just uh, Conra, uh, you know, just taking communion all over the house, breaking body Conra all over the place. You know, we don't read a story of Gragra. We read a story of contentment. And I want to say to you, friends, honestly, maybe you are here and maybe Christmas doesn't, isn't coming this year with everything you hoped it will. <laughs> maybe not all your plans have come through. But can you give God, can you give your spouse, can you give your own self, the people in your life, the gift of contentment? It is still what it means to be a Christian. All right? I'll clap for myself if you don't clap. It's good stuff, I'm telling you. That's still what it means to be a Christian. Contentment! Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your lives be free from the love of money. Why, why are we content? Because God himself has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Therefore, we take comfort and we encourage and we confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. There's a contentment that we find by resting our lives in Jesus. This is the basis of contentment. It's that whatever our situation, no matter our situation, Jesus is enough to lean into. And that's what I'm saying to you. Maybe you're starting out your marriage and you don't have everything you want to have. Jesus is enough to lean. If we have Jesus, we have what it takes to be content. Jesus is enough to lean into. Mary is not, you know, just giving attitude all over the house. This December, the number of times you have hissed. In this December, everything. What's wrong with you? Contentment. Let me tell you one of the markers of contentment is gratitude. Grateful for where you are. I know this is not everything it would ever be. I know you have hopes. I know. I'm telling you about living, having room for hope and vision. 
But don't let a sense of hope and vision steal the contentment of today. Don't let a sense of there's more to come steal the fact that right here and right now, God is deliberate about your life. Be content with where you are. Be content with such things as you have. I know you're, you know, you're not slipping to comparison and other people, everybody else. All my mates, all my mates, all my mates, all my mates, all my mates. All my mates. Content. You also know what I'm talking about. Social media just wrecks you, right? Uh-huh. Contentment. Be grateful. Sometimes you might be, you might be broke, but listen, it's a temporary financial situation. Huh? Being broke is a, is a circumstance. A temporary, Mary and Joseph are in the media today. Is that where they are always going to be? It's, just, it's a situation. Contentment. I said something in first service and I'll say, if it doesn't apply to you, just block your ears. I'm not talking. But if you are here, you're married, and you don't sleep with your husband or wife because you people are broke, one of you, maybe two, but at least one of you is a commercial sex worker. What's wrong with you? It's a commercial sex worker. What does money have to do? Do you understand what I'm saying? Anyway, so. Yeah. Contentment. Such things as you have. You to check your his count. You're about to eat. You're going. You're waving down taxi. You climb back. Back man is even greeting. That you take bike today doesn't mean you always take bike. Do you get what I'm trying to say? It's a time and season. Be the kind of person that when you're not telling the story, like I can tell you, there are days I will take bike and I'll be prophesying to the bike man. I'll be giving him word of knowledge. That's what I used to do. We will make it count. Satan will be so angry that this guy is converted to the bike man. He will just say, God, give him the car. But you're there, you're just angry. Look at everybody on this Let me ask somebody, do you have room for contentment in your life? Third thing I'm going to challenge you this morning is that we create room. Like I say, we can create room in unlikely spaces. The space may be unlikely, but we can create room for it. That's why I don't want Jesus to come and say there's no room. The gloom and the doom of no room. It's not the life I want to live. The third thing this morning is that I want to challenge you that we create room for worship and for honor. We create room for worship and for honor. Another hero in the Christmas story, another set of heroes, the wise men. We see the wise men come and literally, friends, literally, I don't know how you read the Christmas story, but literally the wise men come from the east and they be- these are wise men, they're high and mighty. These are guys that got to, 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 to Bethlehem where Jesus was born and basically walked straight into the palace. These are guys that have the connections that can be where they want to go, when they want to go, where they want to be. These are guys that have it all. But the Bible says that the wise men literally walked into the manger where Jesus was. And I think about it and I think of how they walked over animals. They walked over shit to come and worship. And some of you, that's going to be the story of, that's the story of this year for you basically. That a choice to worship is going to be a choice to say, I'm going to walk over what those animals did. And you get what I'm trying to say? What, uh, what they meant for evil, what that person... Like, I'm walking past all of that. I'm walking past the shit that people did in my life. And that, that, that. They have a choice to either make their life a story of complaining. And it's this shit. And this one is the good shit. This one is the shit of the shit. Of, or to walk past that and say, if Jesus is in the story, then it's a story of worship. If I can find Jesus in this story, and I know I can see people that let me down. But what I'm saying, can I see Jesus that held me up? And I know I can see people that walked away. But what I'm saying is, can I see Jesus that stayed? If I can see Jesus in the story, then it is still a story for worship. And he himself has said, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. It is still a story for worship. And today I want to challenge you. Can you create room in your life for worship? This Christmas season, can it mean more to you? Jesus is still worthy of worship. My challenge to you in the place of vision is that whatever your circumstance, Jesus is a sound of hope. The place of contentment, that whatever your situation, Jesus is enough to lean into. And in the place of worship, that whoever you are, I don't care who you are, what you've got, what you don't have, who you are not. Whoever you are, Jesus is still worthy of worship. 
Listen, friends, all of us are wired to worship. Everybody's going to be worshiping something. If you're not worshiping Jesus, you're going to be worshiping something. You worship your fears. You would worship. You would worship life. You would worship what they say. Everybody is going to be worshiping. What wise people do is that they make a choice to worship Jesus because he alone is worthy of worship. Can I tell you this morning, church, maybe you come to church and, you know, you're in all these moments of worship going on and in your own life, worship and all of that. And it's just one of those things for you. Listen, listen to me well. You know about Lucifer. You know about Lucifer. Lucifer is in heaven. He's leading worship and all of those kind of stuff. And at some point, at the time T, Lucifer stopped worshiping, right? Basically, Lucifer stopped worshiping. But check out what happens in that moment. God in his essence does not reduce. Lucifer falls. If we fail to worship, we don't take off God. God is as God as he can ever be. Your worship is not what adds to God. God is not like some desperate guy sitting down, emotional ego like, how will you worship? Uh, if you don't worship, you know that is my own bounded. Yeah, I will die if you don't worship. God is not emotional. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we don't worship, we are the losers here. Worship is the rightness that we are wired for. And if you cannot find room in your heart for worship, then you are losing a sense of life. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. This Christmas season, I pray that God is not going to come around us and hear the words, no room. Like, God, there's no room. It's an unlikely time, so I can't worship. There's shit in the manger, so I don't worship. Like, I pray that in that place, like the wise men, we would open our treasuries and we would bring out our best. This is what worshipers understand. That even if the times are hard, we bring out our best worship. Even if we're going through stuff, even if it's been a year, we can't explain. Even if we're in places, we can't explain. Even if we're in seasons, we create room for worship. Hey, come on. Is anybody in church this morning with a worship? Is anybody in church? Come on, can we take a praise break this morning? Wise men understand the power of worship. That's what it means to be a wise man. That's what it means to be a wise woman. And I know you might be sitting down there because I have that question. It's got this has not happened. But wise men will walk over shit to worship. That's what I'm telling you this morning. Wise men, all it takes for a wise man to worship is a recognition of who Jesus is. If I can still lift my hands and say Jesus, then I can still worship. Amen, anybody. Hey, come on. I know Satan is lurking around this morning and saying, I've done you mess up. I've, I've done some shit in your life and, and all of that. And I know Satan sometimes is in these moments trying to say, how would you respond? Can I give you 10 seconds to respond this morning? Anybody got to worship this morning? <laughs> is it still worthy, somebody? Is it still worthy? Is it still worthy? Sometimes you're limping on a broken bone. Sometimes you just have the last breath in you. But, but here's what the Bible says. Let everything that has breath. If it didn't stop my breath, it doesn't stop my worship. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. It doesn't stop my breath. It can't stop my worship. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Sit down. Let me finish this morning. Last thing I'm going to challenge you this morning, this Christmas season, as we create room, more than just space and unlikely things, as we create room, I want to challenge you. Can we create room for Jesus? One of my favorite characters in the Christmas story is not expressly mentioned, but I just love to think of him, the manger manager, the guy that was in charge of that manger. He, I, I, I really believe he would look inwards, and he would look inwards and say, it's unlikely, I'm unlikely, I, I don't deserve this, I'm unlikely, I'm not clean enough, there's shit, there's animals, there's... but just in the power of saying, I'll open my doors to Jesus, and that, that's it. That's it. I'm not asking whether you're the best, whether you're the... No. I'm not asking your history, your background, no. Just the power of saying, I can open my doors to Jesus. Um, makes all the difference and today i'm saying in this christmas season i want to remind us let's make room for jesus not just i'm not just talking about jesus stuff i'm talking about jesus himself when last were you just leaning into his presence when last was it really just about jesus not just what jesus does but who jesus is you know i, I think about how we can be around jesus stuff but be missing the point of who jesus is people come to the house of god but have nothing to do with the god of the house People, people can be around everything. You can sing the songs because you like the songs. But I'm asking that in the songs, do you get a revelation of who Jesus is? Is there room in your heart that is hungry and desperate for Jesus? The power of an open door. Even in my mess. Even in my smallness. Just saying, I'm not running away. I'm not going to shut the doors. I'm, I'll be like the manger manager that will open my doors anyway to Jesus. Makes all the difference. Might be unlikely, 
Think of how people can even be prayerful. You can be very prayerful. Prayerful because you are trying to convert Jesus to your errand boy. But I'm saying, do you have a heart that honors him for who he is? And in this season, I want to remind you, let's have room for Jesus. Amen. Let's have room for Jesus. Let's have room for Jesus, okay? Um, here's how I'm going to close this morning. I'm almost done. Done, actually. Tim, you'll come up in a moment and we'll worship. But I'll tell you a story as I close. I, I don't know, as I say in this Christmas season, that Jesus came and we see the doom and the gloom of no room. Like, he comes to his own and he hears those words, no room. It's terrible for us as humanity to do to Jesus. And I, I'll tell you what, it's not, just, it's not just the inn, it's every one of us. It's every one of us has rejected him in some way or the other. Every one of us has lived years of our lives just running away from him. Thank God, maybe you're now a Christian and all, but you know that there have been times. Maybe you're living in those tensions now and those struggles of areas of your life where you know he's calling you to obey or to do that. And it's just that sense of God, there's no room for you on my plans. There's no room for you on that. There's no room and all of that. What is it like for a savior, an almighty savior, to hear those words from people he created? I, I, I wonder if anybody has ever done you wrong, like, you know, people messed up with you. And maybe because you're a Christian, you're a child of God now and all of that, you will not expressly pray bad to happen to them. But you don't mind it happening to them if it chooses to happen. They are just reaping what they sowed, right? You know, so, so, so like maybe, maybe you are innocent in an office and, they, and you got fired. Well, and it really pained you. And then you now hear that their business returns for the last two years have been really messed up. You're happy. Right. Or, or this happens a lot. You're driving and somebody just drives in and does something really messed up. And I'm like, ah! You look in your mind. You know that if this was five years ago before you met the Lord, you know, you know that if this was five years ago, all I'll do, I'm going to stretch out a hand, I'll wave to him in an aggressive way and tell him about his head being incomplete in Yoruba. You know? Stuff like that. But here you are now and you just watch the guy going and ah! But like 200 meters, you drive 200 meters forward and you now see that the guy has been hit by somebody else and all. You don't mind. <laughs> like, you, you, is it only me? Let's just... Baby, your hand is not up. You know, like, yeah. People do wrong to us and we just are like, yeah, you know. If you do wrong to me, I can do wrong to you, right? And stuff like that. Um... Let me show you something on the screen and then I'll close. Let's put up a video. Penalty area had a flick at Holland and so he did his knee ligament. And that was the year that uh, Arsenal went Frankie on to win into the, penalty area. the championship. Flick at and, and he did his knee ligament. And that was the year that uh, Arsenal went oh. on to win Roy Keane on the championship. <laughs> David Ellery. Dismissing Roy Keane from the field of play. David Ellery. It's a red card. Issued by David Ellery to Manchester United's captain for the fourth time. It's a red card. Issued by Okay, let me let me tell you what just happened. Maybe it's you don't watch football and you don't care about that. Don't worry, it's not about football. I want to tell you about like so those are two different games. The first game was in 1997. It was Leeds versus Mayu. Roy Keane is playing for Leeds. There's a guy called Haaland. He was playing. That's the father. Some of you know his son now. Uh, his father was playing for Leeds. Haaland trips Roy Keane over. And then it's like four minutes to the end of the game and all something. And then he trips Roy Keane over. Roy Keane is lying down in pain and all. And then Haaland walks over to him and, you know, basically tells him to get up. Like, I'm just trying to deceive the referee. And he says some stuff to him like, you know, stop all that and all. But it turns out that Roy Keane was actually injured. And he didn't play for the next nine months or something. Like, he was actually injured. Um... Now, the next game was some um, four years later. Four years later, Haaland was now playing for Manchester City. And he was now playing against Roy Keane again. <clears throat> so now, I'm going to read what Roy Keane says about this second. So that second incident, like, I'll tell you what Roy Keane says about it when he was writing his own autobiography. So he says that in the closing stages of the 2000-2001 season, suddenly and viciously, Keane decided to settle a score. I had waited long enough, he says. With four minutes of the derby remaining, the United captain caught Haaland flush on the right knee with a horrendous studs-up challenge. So this is what Keane writes. I effing hit him hard. Keane, ad effing, like, Keane admitted. The ball was there, I think. Take that, you, mm. 
So the referee promptly gives him a red card, and you notice that he's just not even interested, like disinterested. He walked off the field before bending over. So he then goes, now, that guy, after that challenge, that was actually the end of his career. That was, ended his career. But Keane walks over to him and says, so there were two guys that came to, like, make fun of Keane that first match, two of them that were telling him to get up. This was one of them. The other guy was a guy called Weatherall. So King goes to him before leaving the pitch, and he says, you saw him bending down. So the guy himself didn't talk about his King that wrote it, that this is what I said. Don't ever stand over me again, sneering about fake injuries. And tell your pal, Weatherall, there's some for him as well. Then he bounces off. You know. And that's what my you people do. Um... Yeah, but, but that's, that's being human. Like, you, you know, that's the thing with injuries. I'm one of those people that feel like if you give me a foolish tackle, you knock Van Dyke out, he can't play for one season. I'm like, the guy that injured him should also not play. You know, it's, it's annoying. Like, you're sitting down and watching the other guy playing and happy. When you are undergoing surgery, do you get I don't think it's... I'm, I'm being human. I'm like, if you did me wrong... <sighs> you get what I'm saying, right? But... What was it like for Jesus to come to people he created and come to people he longed to save? He took it upon himself to say, I would humble myself. And he picks up a human suit and he says, this is what the world needs. These guys have struggled in all their mess. Tim, come. And Jesus basically comes down to say, I'm coming for you guys. And then he hears the words, no room. I'm like, you know what, if I'm Jesus, if I am Jesus, and you better thank God I'm not. If I'm Jesus, every single one of you is not going to get room in heaven. You're not going to get room in anything, life, anything that has to do with your future and your purpose and anything. No room. It should be no room we're doing. No room for me, no room for you. And, and let's be honest, if you think about it, Jesus deserved to have room among us. But we don't even deserve to have room with him. You know what? He's so good a savior. He's so loving a savior that the very people that said to him no room because of their helplessness and their lack of understanding, the very people that said to him no room, he died for those same people. And he says, in my death, I give you guys room. Listen to John chapter 14 and verse 2. This humbles me. John chapter 14 and verse 2 says, you, you trust God, don't you? Trust me, Jesus speaking. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so that we can live where I live. And you already know the road I'm taking. And he was speaking to his disciples about how he was going up the cross so that he could make room for the people that said no room to him. And maybe you're here today and you've lived seasons of your life just shutting him out. Saying no room for you God on my plans. I've been planning 2022 but no room for you God on that. No room for you that I'm differently occupied. I'm occupied with my plans and my ambitions. I'm telling you today about a savior that died so that he can give you room. So that in the room he gives you, you can give him room. And I'm asking today, I'm asking today, have you got room for Jesus? It's amazing how we can come to the very thing we need and say those words, no room. But I'm asking today, have you got room for Jesus? I'm asking today, are you just trudging through every day, like just going through the motions? Or is there something in your heart that has room for Jesus? Are you making all your plans? And maybe you are planning the new year and planning your life and planning your marriage and planning your stuff, planning your business. And there is no room for Jesus in it. Or maybe for you, it's even your budget. You, you have it all figured out. You are planning your budget according to the times and the economy and anything that sounds like Jesus. No room, no room, no room. But I'm saying today about a savior that he deserves room in your life and you don't deserve room with him but he did everything to give you room so that you can have a life where you give him room. You can have a life where you give him room because he died for you to have that life. He's a savior that gave you room so that you can have a life to give him room. I believe that he has given us room 
so that we can give him room in our devotion, in our lives, in our sense of honor, in our sense of walking. I pray we will be the kind of people. It might be an unlikely space. It might be an unlikely time. You might look at yourself and you're just a manger. You might look at yourself and it looks like this space is even messed up. I'm unlikely. I look inwards and there's all this stuff happening. I'm broken. I'm messed up. But what I'm saying today is just the power of your yes and of your acceptance. It's, it's a virgin girl, Mary, who doesn't know anything but just knows to say to him, be it unto me according to your word and it suddenly starts to create room for God just that sense of yes starts to create room how is a savior of a world lying in your womb because of the power of saying yes not because of your experience not because of what you have not because of who you know but just the power of saying yes of my devotion of my yieldedness of my obedience and there are people here today and you know that God is speaking to you in some way or the other of your life and you know there's that God nudge on your heart and today I'm encouraging you would he come to you and hear those words no room or would he come today a savior who deserves it and would he hear you saying there is room there is acceptance there is a welcoming there is honor there is worship in the name of jesus would you stand to your feet we're going to worship together this morning i don't know what this is to you but i encourage you as we worship would you lean in your heart would you lean in who you are this morning and just yield yourself to him as we open up our hearts and sing to him in jesus name sing it out come on people 60 seconds to pray this morning i just want you to say yes to jesus i don't know what that is in this season of your life in your circumstances right now but i want people saying yes to jesus yes over my life yes over my plans yes over next year yes over what's to come yes over my fears yes over my anxieties yes over my worries yes a yes that means surrender a yes that means obedience this is what it means to be a christian that we say yes to our savior that we say lord you have room you have room and i create room for you this morning Lord with the sound of my yes he's the savior that said yes over you so that you can say yes to him and this morning I pray would hear those words over your life saying yes 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 and I know you have it all planned out but would you say yes to him would you say yes to him this morning yes to him this morning let me give you some seconds to pray somebody this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus that we say yes that we say yes yes with all my heart yes with surrender yes to you jesus he's still worthy of your yes any worship that does not bring you to a place of saying yes it's not yet true worship worship is surrender worship is letting go worship is surrender yes to you jesus yes to your will to your way to your plans yes to your let's your voice god 
Yes to your word. Yes to your spirit, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes over my home. Yes over my children. Yes over my marriage. Yes over my business. Yes over the work of my hands. Yes over my plans. I say yes, be it unto me according to your word, God. Thank you, Lord. Can we all just stay standing and honor this moment? Somebody came to church this morning and you really need to say yes to him in a definite way. Um, you're not confidently say you're in the right place with God. You're not born again. You are not, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you come around church. Maybe you are new. It really doesn't matter. What I'm asking today is can you boldly say that you're in the right place with God? There's only one way you can be right with God. Um, and it's by saying yes to Jesus. Um, he died a death that he didn't deserve to die so that you can have a life you don't deserve to have. I don't know who you are, how you got to be here today, whether you're in this building, whether you're in a watch party in Lagos, whether you are all on your own anywhere online, really doesn't matter. I'm asking, can you boldly say that you're in the right place with God by putting your faith in Jesus? Maybe you're like, I've done this at some point in my life, I've surrendered, but today as we speak, you know that you've made poor choices, you're living far away from God, and you know you need to be forgiven today, you need to come back home. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask everybody everywhere to bow their heads, close their eyes, and let's all just be thinking about where we are spiritually this morning. Let's be praying for somebody that needs to say yes to Jesus. And I'm going to count to three. And if you say, you know what, you're speaking to me. I'm not in the right place with God. I want to be forgiven. I need the love of a Savior. I don't want to live my life in guilt and condemnation. I need forgiveness. I need a new beginning. I need mercy today. I need the salvation of a Savior. I cannot save myself. If you're there this morning and you say, you know what, you're speaking to me. I'm going to count to three. Wherever you are, in this building, in a watch party, at home, anywhere, wherever you are, I want you to put your hand on your chest this morning. Are you ready? If you say you're speaking to me, one, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. That's a miracle happening already. God bless you. Thank you for your sincerity. People in this room, and I believe people in all other places, thank you for your sincerity. God bless you. It's a miracle. Anybody else want to join in? It's a miracle happening. Yeah. It's powerful. You can say yes because he said yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. God bless you. This is a family, not a crowd. I'm going to ask everybody to join in. Let's pray together. If your hand is on your chest, I want you to say this prayer with boldness, knowing that God hears your voice, okay? The Bible says, we believe with our hearts and we confess with our mouths unto salvation. Can we all say together this morning, Heavenly Father, I come to you today because you've made a way for me to come. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son Jesus. Say, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Say, today, I confess Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Say, I give everything to follow you. Please forgive me of the past. And give me a whole new start. Say, I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. Say, one day, I'll be with you in heaven. Say, because of Jesus, there's room for me. I belong to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate a miracle this morning. Amen. Big, big, big congratulations to everybody that prayed that prayer. Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you prayed that prayer at the end, we're so excited about your decision for Jesus. And we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash Jesus. There you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you're listening. Or visit www.sycamore.church forward slash resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.